0: Hey, gang, your pal Tim here, taking a little vacation time. My wife reminds me that I have had have not had a vacation of any uh, decent sort since I started this podcast three and a half years ago. So I listened to her very carefully, friends, and I'm going to take a week off. But you're in good hands because we are going to uh, give you a little special presentation this week. Uh, I had the great pleasure of being on a uh, friend of the show's P.F. Wilson's podcast uh, last month. It's called P.F.'s Tape Recorder. And uh, it's a great interview. We had a ton of fun doing it. And it's probably the best uh, sort of uh, encapsulation of why we do this little show. And uh, it's always great to connect with not only PF, but just another uh, kindred soul in the realm of uh, defunct and forgotten sports. Uh, So here's uh, uh, the episode number, what was it, 466. He's been at this a lot longer than I have. Of PF's tape recorder that we recorded uh, just uh, last month in July. And uh, we go now to Cincinnati and... uh, Thanks very much, PF, for having us. And uh, as always, please enjoy.
1: Hello there, I'm PF. This is my tape reporter. Coming up, it's Tim Hanlon.
0: You know, if there was an order in which the uh, the efforts were taken, right? Um, I would say sports and challenging. The establishment and sticking it to the man and and in and, and broadening the, the players' opportunities was very much second.
1: Tim is a guy I became friendly with on the internet. Um, I'll explain here uh, briefly. We're not going to do a dumb bit because uh, our talk with Tim ran a little long because you see my... Uh, interest besides comedy and music, of course, uh, sports, uh, besides you know, following current sports and the, the five major sports in this country. Uh, I also am a big fan of defunct sports leagues and teams, and uh, I found Tim's podcast quite by accident. There is a Facebook page for one of the defunct leagues, uh, one of the famous ones, uh, the World Football League from the 1970s. And someone had just posted uh, saying that, listen to this guy's podcast. He interviews somebody that used to be part of the World Football League. I think it was... Uh, uh, upton bell who owned the charlotte hornets anyway the charlotte hornets football team not the basketball team uh look it up it's, it's a fascinating story anyway uh so i so i listened to the show and i found more episodes i'm like wow this is really cool there's another weirdo like me that likes this kind of stuff and um so i i got into a hold of him he wound up being a sponsor uh for one of the companies i work for uh so i don't know if I need to disclose that but i just did uh, we, uh, old school shirts uh, sponsors Tim's podcast. Uh, good seats still available. Uh, recommended. And so, anyway, I uh, reached out to him and said, "Hey, would you like to come on and talk about defunct leagues with me on my show?" And he said, "Sure." So uh, there you have it. Uh, Tim lives in Chicago now. He's from New Jersey, and I think his day job—he think he's still in some kind of sports media. I forgot to ask him, but anyway. So we're gonna do that. We're gonna have a song of the week from Young Blood. But here now, first, is our interview with Tim Hanlon of the Good Seats Still Available podcast. Good. How are you? It, it's, it's weird to interview someone like you that I've heard a lot uh, like on a podcast. <laughs> I interviewed Terry Gross one time years ago. And unfortunately, not for my podcast. It was before I had my podcast. But I was like, it's so weird to hear your voice in a conversational manner, not, you know, talking, doing an interview on NPR. It was really strange. I'm going to record this oh, I, on I screen.
0: I don't know if I can compare it to Terry Gross, but uh, you know, I'll, I'll I'll squint really hard and take it as a compliment.
1: There you go. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I was just uh, – before I came downstairs here to do the interview, right my wife's like, who are you doing the interview with? And I said, well, apparently there's, there's another weirdo like me out there who's all about <laughs> the defunct sports leagues and stuff like that. And um, and I, I found good seats completely by accident. I think I told you this in an email uh, when we first met over the internet. I think it was just on the World Football League page. Someone randomly posted the, one of the episodes about the World Football League and said, hey, this, uh, there's this pod. It might have been the Upton Bell episode. I don't know. And I'm like, oh, this is cool. And then I was hooked. So I've uh, been a subscriber ever since.
0: Well, look. I, please tell your wife that uh, I, you know I, I profusely apologize, and uh, you know if there's anything I can do to help sort of rectify the situation, maybe a little mediation, uh, whatever.
1: Oh no, she's uh, she's happy because happy. Um, the the Funk League's doing really well for us at Old School. So, amongst other things, so that's that's been working out really well. Um, so I know a little bit about your background just from listen listening to the show, um, but so you're originally from New Jersey, right?
0: Yeah, northern New Jersey, uh, a stone's throw, if you will, from from uh, Manhattan, and uh, yeah, you know, and very much in the vortex, I guess, of of New York sports as as a kid growing up. So you know, with a little bent towards New Jersey, right? You, you come up with that uh, sort of, I'll call it, a chip on your shoulder, more like a sort of embarrassment uh, cloak, I guess, because you're in the you're in the uh, the state that uh, everybody seems to you know not uh, ad- acknowledge. But uh, you know, we've had our moments in in, in pro sports, and, sure. Uh, I have the scars to prove it. So sure,
1: <laughs> I remember one time when uh, Jim Kelly was on. Uh, this is after he, the USFL, and he had been in with the Bills and and people. He says something about the Bills, and the audience booed. Of course, it's a New York City audience, and he goes, "Hey, the Bills are the only team that plays in New York," and everybody went silent. <laughs> so,
0: and it's true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, growing up in the, you know, uh, not want to say a stone's throw, but at least you know, a few, a few miles away from East Rutherford, New Jersey, no doubt. I mean, I, th- there was a great. Um, uh, documentary on NFL films at some point uh, last couple of years uh, about the new New York Giants when they won their uh, championship I think in the oh god it was an 80 something in the 80s and it was narrated by uh, John Bon Jovi and and half of the the story is sort of rooted in this is a team that moved to New Jersey and New Jersey claimed them as their own and there was this big rift I mean Mayor Koch at the time you know kind of uh held his nose and and Decided he wasn't going to come to New Jersey for the celebration, and there was no huh. ticker tape parade because they had they had moved to New Jersey and abandoned the city. And um, you know, I don't know. Growing up in New Jersey, I, it seemed normal to me, but you know, yeah. I was well, a kid. What did I know? I,
1: I distinctly remember from when I was a kid. I might even have a newspaper clipping I can send you of this. I looked for it to, to to see if this was true. I'm almost positive that when they built giant stadium. The New Jersey legislature passed a law that said if you play in New Jersey, you have to be called New Jersey. But then for some reason, they didn't end up enforcing it. They enforced it on the generals in the USFL. I'm, again, I'm almost positive they were going to be the New York generals. And the uh, stadium commission, whoever ran the Meadowlands, said, no, you have to be the New Jersey generals. And somehow the Jets and Giants got out of it. But uh, do, you, do you know anything about that from growing up, that that, that, that was going to be the, the law of the land? You had to be New Jersey if you played in New Jersey?
0: Yeah, I, I vaguely remember that. I'm not sure if that was sort of coming into the facility or it was after, it was a, a few years of the facility existing that, um, you know, this is also around the time the Garden State Bowl, sort of that uh,
1: Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> that
0: college bowl game that nobody sort of cared about or missed, frankly, once it was gone.
1: That would be a great uh, episode, by the way, for you, like yeah. all those lost bowl games. The it's Freedom Bowl.
0: The <laughs> oh, good. It's on, it's on the list. Oh, yeah. The Astro Blue Bonnet Bowls. So yes.
1: Yeah, oh, my God. The Blue Bonnet. Yeah, I got to write these down for old school old bowl Absolute games freedom
0: bowl oh my god there's tons of them the yeah Raisin bowl, there's a whole bunch of them you betcha i get yeah, the cherry bowl I, we're you know the cherry
1: I, bowl oh my god
0: there's plenty of
1: them yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um so growing but up you the cosmos
0: got away with that too right so they were known as right. uh, the new york cosmos and then they were just the vaunted
1: cosmos, the cosmos.
0: For such a period of time right cool. so and then and then you had a bunch of those teams sort of as the uh As the '80s wore on, they were they sort of dreaded New York slash New Jersey something.
1: I'm wearing my I'm wearing a New York Knights sweatshirt right now, which is of course uh, uh, erroneously it should say New York New Jersey Knights. We need to fix the artwork, but yeah, it was in our reject bin. It didn't print quite properly, so yeah. As I'm talking to you, I'm wearing from the World League of American Football a uh, very comfortable New York Knights sweatshirt.
0: (laughs) See, there you go. And and um, you know, so for all you Ohio Glory fans listening right now in suburban Cincinnati, you'll know. That uh, the World League of American Football was uh, was a thing, and we even had some debates over you know, with some of our guests about whether that was a a true sort of defunct league, and of course it was in my yeah. mind. Right? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Domestic teams plus world teams, and. That's what made it even more special. You Montreal machine fans know what I'm talking
1: about. There you go, (laughs) right? Yeah, we got us another collection we need to finish. We have about half of the shirts uh, for that one. I don't know if we're going to do the foreign ones or not. I mean, maybe we will. But um, getting back to the cosmos, so you uh, are are really a soccer guy, first and foremost. Am I correct in that? Is that –
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the things I've sort of – you have to understand this show has just been uh, more of a – not knowing or thinking that there would be like tons of people out there who would be sort of similar to me. I, to me, it was just sort of scratching a long time itch to um, I guess, I don't know, uh, correct uh, or, or discover some of the, the issues, I guess, from when I was a child and, 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 you know, an impressionable youth and being a sports fan and stuff. And for me, you know, yeah, of course there's baseball and football and plenty of the other sort of traditional sports and, and plenty of exposure to those games. And, you know, grandpa or, or dad or, or friends, you know, taking to games and stuff. But something around, you know, my 10, 11-year-old sort of uh, time frame was uh, uh, playing soccer, which was a relatively um, unique thing in suburban uh, New Jersey. It uh, wasn't sort of nearly as widespread as it is today. Uh, and then this thing, this guy named Pele, and then I vividly remember in 1976, this was Pele's second year. Um, he didn't come, but but a bunch of his teammates did to give our rec team our little trophies for having a, a great season. Oh, wow. And, and they handed out, you know, black and white uh, autographs of themselves and, you know, this thing the New York Cosmos schedules and what they're it playing is, you know, a schedule at Yankee Stadium and. Um, and then sure enough, the year later, they were playing in, in, in East Rutherford, New Jersey. And so we had no choice but to go and drag my parents to go. And by 1978 and beyond, we were season ticket holders. So oh, wow, it, it was it was, you know, I, an impressionable, young, all-American males kind of sports uh, thing. I grew up a New York Giants football fan and New York Yankees baseball okay. fan and all the traditional stuff. But this Cosmos thing was more tangible to me because we were go. We could go. We went regularly, and I was playing the sport. And then it, it didn't take long, but obviously, in in, in as times wore on, right, um, to recognize that this was truly a white hot comet, not only in terms of it coming and going, but the fact that the assemblage of stars was, you know, like years before the Chelsea superstardom kind of model that exists today in world soccer. So. It you know only in retrospect do you realize sort of how what a special time it was, even if it wasn't all those star studded players and all that sort of uh, you know white hotness, um, it still was impressionable enough for to last uh, to leave a lasting impression on me for for better or for worse. So, you know what happened to all these teams and all these great logos and and that just sort of became I don't know sort of a, a part of my DNA I guess and and now we get to kind of explore it maybe it's sort of part therapy and part. <laughs> Uh, curiosity. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, I I am shocked after three plus years of doing this, how many people stumble across What what I have found, though, is this and maybe this is your next question. I think a lot of this, a couple of themes sort of evolved, one of which is a lot of it. You know, a lot of our listeners tend to be male, which is hardly a surprise. Yep. But it tends to be a similar impressionable period in their lives, usually around Adolescents and or, you know, uh, teenage years when they first sort of recognized there was this pro sports thing. Um, but, but also the other sort of thing is that everybody has their own thing, their own geography, uh, their own, uh, you know, what their lives were like, for better or for worse, and their families, uh, the attachment to sports and, and why, which are generally unique things. Um, but it's always sort of this 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 passion that is it's part of one's childhood, that uh, you know is diff- means different things to different people. For me, I've just expanded it into the entire realm of defunctness and relocations and so all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, but to me, what I found is that most people, very few people, sort of exhibit the same sort of, shall we say, mental illness that I have <laughs> with respect to all this. Stuff yeah. Generally, but but it's it's it uh, just takes time. And once you stumble across something that is special to an individual about a particular team, a particular city, a particular league, then it just becomes, you know, amazing. Usually it's they'll wait for the next time uh, said topic comes up. But, you know, you kind of you kind of scoop up a few people along the way and uh, they come along for a merry ride of wackiness that uh, is just general, not specific.
1: Yeah, Um, it's weird because we're probably around the same age. And uh, when I was in the late 70s, about the time you were a season ticket for the Cosmos, uh, my friend, best friend behind me, Nick June, was a phenomenal soccer player. And so we were big fans of the NASL and then also of the major indoor soccer league. But what was str- – I only played one year of organized soccer. Our team was terrible. We were 0 and 10 or 11, and we tied once with a team that never played from the next town over. So I didn't pursue it uh, on the field. But what I always liked about the North American Soccer League and the MISL, I, even though I enjoyed the game, I liked the logos and the team names and the organization of it all. And my friend, of course, liked the you know, the, the soccerness first and those other things secondarily. So we we got on great – Uh, following both of those leagues and then before that i was a fan of rebel leagues before i even knew it because i was a cleveland crusaders fan and i guess at some point i must have realized there were two different leagues and that we were in the rebel league and uh and it was only in the past week i by going to some newspaper archives i figured out the secession of the crusaders to the barons which was an interesting story and uh, yeah but it's you're right you're exactly right It's at that point in your life where you discover sports and you happen to you know stumble onto these rubble leagues you know uh, serendipitously and and it, you know and it just sticks with you, you
0: know, i think some of it also uh, revolves around what media was at the time too because you have to remember you young whippersnappers out there today <laughs> you know you can have everything at your fingertips right no. so your local well, newspaper uh, for me, the the, the Bergen record, uh, you know, or ostensibly some New York City uh, papers, too, like the Daily News and the New York Times, occasionally the Post or, or Newsday. You know, that was basically it. So, you know, uh, again, blessed because the Cosmos were such a, a big thing. Um, they were covered with regularity. But what I found uh, was that, you know, finding stuff that was going on with the rest of the league, you know, it was like kind of like it would drip out. Yeah. In, in various places, maybe. You know, in later years, ESPN would have a little half-hour soccer show with Bob Lee you know, talking about around the NASL. Or, you know, if you wanted to know what was going on with the Edmonton Drillers or the <laughs> uh, the Caribou of Colorado, you had to really kind of squint hard and look at the agate um, and try to divine, you know, in the line score or or worse, late game. Right? You couldn't you couldn't get the score because the game started at eleven o'clock Eastern. Oh time. yeah, yeah. Right, but that was you know that was maddening. But but usually when those statistics came out, like you know the box scores, or the the attendances, that to me that was a fascination thing too. Because yeah, you're with when a Cosmos games you know forty, fifty thousand, and and a, a whole hefty bunch of sellouts, right? And then you go you watch a game that they went and played in, in Las Vegas or Hawaii or or the California Surf, and they only got like ten thousand. Like, well, what's up with that? So it was just curiosity after curiosity.
1: So. And the thing too about getting information, uh, I remember I was, the way I discovered the World Football League, uh, I've been going through my football cards, I'm a Cleveland Browns fan, I'm looking at the Paul Warfield card, oh, yeah, yeah, I know, he played for Miami, he was on the, I think he was on the, the Super Bowl team and all that, I'd just gotten into pro football. And I'm looking and it says Memphis WFL, Memphis WFL, and then back Cleveland. And I asked my dad, I'm like, who's not a huge sports fan, uh, what's WFL? What's that? He goes, oh, that was some league from a couple of years ago. This is probably 1979. A couple of years ago, it didn't last very long. Oh, I I had to know more at that point. And the only, the almanacs in the library, you could go back to 74, 75, look that. But man, getting, finding any kind of nugget of information about the World Football League was terribly exciting. And really didn't well, know anything that's until that's
0: how I found out about the International Volleyball Association was in the for the record section of Sports Illustrated. Right. There was literally like a little sort of like blurb. It was there was no like I mean, there might have been one article, like one issue that I didn't read for whatever reason about Will Chamberlain and the league starting. But then I just I, I would and I would constantly look at the for the record section, which was generally kind of like a, the, the weekly agate, if you will, of, of you know news and notables kinds of things and and a lot of the smaller leagues out there uh, american soccer league for example was also you know so there were it was th- those rebel leagues so to speak when they weren't getting major coverage from the main publication you would see it in there and that's like again it's just another sort of you know like uh, uh, head scratcher like well i'd like to find out more and again no internet no you know no you had to really search out and sort of seek yeah. out like find that information
1: well, it wasn't until I got to college that I got my hands on two really good books about the World Football League. Uh, one, of course, is Breaking Game Wide Open, which is like almost your Bible. I understand.
0: I am I am staring at my uh, tattered, torn copy. Right
1: yeah, now. No, I'd love I love that a copy. And, uh, and Herb in the
0: back is, a, is a picture of, uh, of Gary Davidson with a uh, first generation looking WFL football.
1: There you go. H- hold that thought yeah. on Gary Davidson, because then the, the other good yeah. book is the the Herb Gluck book. When the uh, while well, the getting's good, I'm, you've read that. You know, I have. Oh my God! You got to find that. I got it. It's like the
0: Holy Grail, isn't it?
1: Uh, if you're, I was able to get the um, library used to have the Gary Davidson book here in Cincinnati. They got rid of it, and I had to get it from uh, the library in Akron. They did. Have a, they have an exchange program, so you might be able to find the Herb Luck book. But oh yeah, I highly recommend that one. It's a, for folks listening. It's about it is about the World Football League, but it's mostly about the New York Stars, uh, later Charlotte Hornets. And uh, a fantastic book. So, but now that we've gotten the World Football League and Gary Davidson, because I know your, the icon on your email is Gary Davidson behind the World Football League logo, I will ask you, because I have no one else to talk to this about, Gary Davidson, visionary or huckster?
0: Well, both, sure. Okay. Uh, and I think you could put into that category uh, one of our uh, our previous guests as well. I mean, the guy who was sort of behind uh, you know, the ABA and, uh, World Hockey Association. I mean, you know, Dennis Murphy was, you know, probably his, uh, you know, his compadre, I guess, in every sense of the word. Sure. So, you know, I, Gary, I know is still, still with us. I I don't know in what shape he's in and if he would ever want to do this show. I mean, uh, you know, I would say that, um, he's, I'm sure got some, got some stories, but it's clear. I mean, when I, when we talked, um, uh, when we talked earlier about the, uh, the ABA with, um, with Dennis, uh, you know, it was very clear. And I, I kind of pressed him a couple of different ways and trying to be as deferential as possible given his, uh, advanced but still sharp mind. Yes. Uh, you know, if there was an order in which the, uh, the efforts were taken, right? Um, I would say sports and challenging the establishment and sticking it to the man and 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 in broadening the the players' opportunities was very much second, after the primary goal, which was to make money and in particular via a franchise model, which was I wouldn't say P. T. Barnum like there's a sucker born every minute, but there was certainly Pretty, yeah that <laughs> the the the, 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 the uh, the functional activity of finding people with checks yep. to get us to eight or ten or, or something viable in terms of ports of call. And, and if you will, my interpretation, will fill in the blanks as it comes along. Yeah. And I think that was essentially the model with the ABA. And it was just cer- certainly it was it was lather, rinse and repeat for the World Hockey Association, for the World Football League. Uh, and others, many and many others, not just within the, these guys' orbits, um, but others who kind of looked upon it from from afar and said, "Hey, we can and should do this too."
1: Yeah, I was – I leaned toward Huckster only because of your your guest Upton Bell, and I I read his book because yeah, you connected me with the publisher, and I, I got a copy of it as well. And uh after reading his chapters on the World Football League and also the testimony of Tom Origer, former Chicago fire owner in uh, While The Gettin's Good, I do lean more toward Huckster and it's it's almost like he became more huckstery from the ABA to the WHA to finally the World Football League, because it seemed at least like with the ABA and the WHA, even though he knew nothing about hockey, he was so interested in starting a league and getting somewhere with it. And with the WFL it just seemed like he saw dollar signs and that was it. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, so as we've gone through all these episodes, right, so it's not just specific to to that league and and, and those guys. Right. But oh yeah, know, some of the themes that come out of this is, number one, they, they tends to be about business at the end of the day. Right. So, you know, to me, it's like big boys and their toys. It's sort of another theme. Uh, why do guys, mostly guys uh, who have made their money uh, and supposedly shrewd and smart in, in other Lines of work and business, do they keep doing this kind of stuff, or they keep pursuing it? Well, some of it has to go back actually to childhood. It's kind of the sort of uh, you know rosebud moment, if you will, and uh, if you <laughs> you want to get uh, Orson Wellesian about it, mm-hmm. um, and it's sort of a it's sort of a lost childhood, and they they enjoy the the game, the sport, the whatever, the the trophy, if you will, of of running a, a sports team. But you know, we also get into sort of a, the the economic. Issues that sort of have become fairly obvious, and, and one of these is that tension between the franchise model, right, which we're we're talking about here, and that of a central control kind of thing where it's a single entity, uh, not a, like Major League Soccer, right. So we had a we had a great con- set of conversations with uh, the founder of the Arena Football League, Jim Foster, right, and he he went, he he went out of his way multiple times in our conversations about how he was adamant. About not going the franchise route, frankly, because of people like Gary Davidson and, hmm. and Dennis Murphy, who kind of created, if you will, in his mind, uh, and I think a lot of people mind, houses of cards, right? Some of them successfully netted out to some stuff. I mean, just ask uh, the the Cena brothers. I guess it is a uh, St. Louis and yeah. Uh, oh, yeah You know, some some people made it out like man, It's most did not, right? Yeah. And 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 Foster was like, you know what? I, if I want to control the quality of this product, it's a brand new sport. Um, I will sell individuals or people or entities that want to be a part of this. Uh, if you will, shares in the entity, they can have the operating rights. We can give them a, as much you know, flexibility and, and individuality when it comes to markets and stuff. But when it comes to the product, it comes to the ownerships, it comes to the, the, the way that the, the, the profits or, or, or the shared sacrifice of expenditures that's going to be all centrally controlled. And and I think that is a tug of war that continues to this day. And again, MLS, very interestingly, would arguably maybe could now do with a few of the reins being uh, loosened a little bit now that that single entity, because is it restraint of trade? Does, ask the players union, right? I mean, yet without it, you could make the argument you wouldn't have 25 years of major league soccer, right? But yet the franchise thing. Tends to be wobbly too. Just look at the NHL, right? The, the, the franchise in Arizona effectively is being run by the league for the last number of years. Um, you know, and and it, it, there's no shortage of people who are going to pony up now, what 600, 000, 600 million excuse me, for a team in Seattle. So, I, you know, franchise fees make uh, make light work, so to speak. Rast, that's that's uh, the CFL. It, it's, <laughs> yeah, but it's also a house of cards, and and there's been plenty of history repeated over and over again. Just because you're selling franchise and minting them, I look. If any, I'm a huge Major League Soccer fan, but I, I'm the, I'm the first person to tell you that is 30 teams going on 32, a little too much, possibly. Do I think that people like St. Louis spending, you know, and Charlotte, you know, spending, you know, you look, I, I don't know. It, it could be. I don't know. It just it just seems a little out of whack, especially now given the current times.
1: Did you ever see the um, uh, last thing on the World Football League? The uh, NFL Films uh, lost treasures, uh, the World Football League edition.
0: Yes, I did. And, yes, uh, with the uh, the great sort of uh, little story in there with uh, John Dockery walking through the uh,
1: yes, oh uh, yeah, the,
0: the, the Downey more than Stadium normal decrepit uh, <laughs> Downing Stadium at the time. Well, uh, I thought that was a very poignant story, and uh, it was uh, to me. I like you. I can sense I lapped that episode up. I'm like, oh my god, this is it! And it was some fascinating stuff. It was great. It has never been seen before footage and stuff. You just wish there would had been a, if you will, a WFL films too.
1: Yeah. Well, the two things on that one is the with Gary Davidson explains that uh, you know you would they would come into a town and find like the, the guy that owned the the Sharks, Jacksonville Sharks, was a bra salesman. And he goes. He doesn't want to be a bra salesman. He wants to be a sports owner. So they'd he'd, he'd come in and run his little scam, and you know, and they'd they'd tell the local newspaper, oh, "We're interested in talking to this guy." And the sports page would call him, and they guy would say, "I don't know anything about this World Football League." And they're like, "Okay." Then he goes, well, "Well, I might be interested because the sports page never called him before." And then um, when you're saying the John Doherty thing, the thing that people don't realize this is probably a good point to bring this up is you know we have and I've been on radio shows here in town talking about defunct leagues, whenever one, whenever a new league turns up. Um, is that we? It's fun to make fun of the owners, you know. A bra salesman owns a football team. Ha ha ha. Gary David's the huckster. Ha ha ha. And uh, not so much about Upton Bell. I think Upton Bell was in the right place. But what people forget is, um, and this is very noted in the U.S.FL documentary Thirty for Thirty, is that it, it's the players want to play. And that's serious. That's not funny. That's nothing to make fun of. These guys, they can't quite make the NFL or something went wrong or they're just on the line there and, you know, they they just want to play pro ball. And and that's true, of course, for the, you know, the hockey leagues and the basketball leagues as well. And I think people sometimes forget that.
0: Oh, and I think football is especially prone to that, right? I mean, it's always been sort of the – and, you know, in the last two years, we've seen two, you know, flameouts of 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 hope to expand the pool of professional players and, and the AAF for its reasons and the XFL we think is done, but I think it's going to come back out of receivership in some way, shape or form. And, you know, a lot of these people to a man want to play. I mean, it's a point at which, you know, they, they have to make their economics work over time, but there's always that dream, that last sort of chance. And then that opportunity. And look, I I would also throw that out to not just the players, but it's also uh, people who want to be referees. People want to be coaches. People want to be announcers. It expands the pool there. You know, we had the um, Upton Bell. conversation was terrific. I would highly encourage uh, your your listeners if they not listen to that, because that's a really good insight. Because here's a guy who, you know, really was not getting a fair shake, especially given his lineage
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: in the NFL and, and wanted to prove himself uh, in a fledgling, you know, semi or almost com- directly competitive league with the WFL. But I, on the announcer side, you look at, look, we've had a ton of, of great sportscasters. I mean, uh, Bob Carpenter got his start really with, uh, with the uh, NASL and then MISL indoor soccer, JP De La Camera made a career out of being a, if you can believe it, a soccer broadcaster, which is now a thing in this day and
1: age. Bob Costas. Um,
0: Costas with the, uh, with the ABA and the Spirit, yeah. but, um, we had a great conversation, probably one of our best with, uh, with John Sterling, the uh, longtime New York Yankees broadcaster. You know, this is a guy who. Got the rights uh, for the New York uh, Golden Blades of uh, of the uh, WHA uh, to play, you know, to get the radio rights and, and did the play by play as part of that. He, he called New York Stars games and, and he, he recounts a wonderful little anecdote. We just happened to find the clip just out of pure luck. He was talking about like the first game that they were doing with his with his, uh, his colleague, a former football player whose name escapes me. Uh, he said that they, they're all set. They're sitting up there in Downing State, and there's like, you know, 10,000 people rattling around, and it's not a, not a great night. And, and he's live on, I guess it's WOR radio, which is a big, big signal. And they forgot to string a, a phone line. Uh, they forgot to string a, a radio line up there. So they had to phone in the game. Literally, it's not a phone call, and they're sharing the phone between the two of them. Wow. Uh, call- the calling the game and it, it's hilarious. And we got the clip embedded in the show, but, but, you know, he, but John and all these others to a person, just they, 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 they talk about how crazy it was, but they also, t- and it's not even wistful. It's like they, they were some of the most fun and, and uh, great learning experiences. And there's always a fondness uh, when we have those conversations with those guys. And again, it's, it's them too. They're, they're young. Uh, they're hustling. They're trying to make a career out of this sportscasting thing, and look, it's a gig, right? And it's pro enough where there's going to be a broadcast or a television presentation or something, and it's it, it builds the tape, if you will, for for their their later exploits. And um, you know, there's plenty more of those out there that we've we've got on our list that we want to get. Vern Lundquist, we want to get. I mean, there's so many others out there that are just you know have these great stories of kind of paying their dues, if you will. Brad shammed out of Dallas, you know, with the Dallas tornado. So many others
1: out there. Um, Speaking of the Dallas Tornado and soccer and stuff, I've always wanted to get your opinion on this. And I think I kind of know what the answer is. You had a guy on your show who was a – I I don't know if he was a, a broadcaster for the North American Soccer League or a consultant. But anyway, hated indoor soccer thought it was an abomination. And I know there were a lot of people that were like that. Now, my friend growing up, he liked both indoor and outdoor soccer. He wasn't a purist by any means. And I think most people, soccer fans in this country of of our age, liked the indoor game. Indoor game, an abomination or a viable sport? I know you had the guy from the LA Lasers on just a few weeks ago thinking it should be the third most popular sport in the country.
0: Well, look, I I loved – still love, but i you know i think it was a sort of that at a, a, a certain point in time i mean the very late 70s early 1980s when you know the nasl was starting to kind of wobble and by you know 83 84 it was it was veering way off course into uh, basically oblivion and this indoor game was a hell of a lot more fun and exciting um i don't think it is an abomination i think actually it was it was, uh, you know, we've had Ed Tepper, the co-founder of that league and a whole bunch of others. You know, I, I think a lot of folks, uh, maybe it was a sign of the times I, or I don't know how much it was sort of a, um, you know, casting aspersion to the outdoor game per se. That's a natural comparison, but you're really talking about a sport that was just fun to watch. Um, very exciting, a lot of scoring. Uh, certainly it seemed to have more scoring than, uh, the NHL, uh, you know, the the NBA was certainly a little, you know, kind of uh, got, it wasn't sort of as, as hugely popular as, as it was today. And it was it was just it was an event. It was exciting. Uh, they and added with pizzazz and, and an extra uh, extra sparkle and splash. And I, to me, it was just um, it was just kind of fascinating. And, yeah, there was a time uh, you're talking to the, one of the, you know, handful of people that was actually a New Jersey Rockets season ticket holder. There you go. Not <laughs> even full season uh, in 82. Um, that, uh, you know, to me it was yeah, the, the outdoor game was starting to lag a bit. And you look at this indoor game is faster. It was more, and, but, and more skilled uh, than, than outdoor, right? You had to, you got to make quick decisions. You got to make quick passes. Uh, and it's a hell of a lot more running, uh, and, and a higher speeds for an extended period of time. I don't know. I just found it exciting and, and then when you layer in, right, some of these crowds like in the St. Louis Checker Dome and I mean, just the, just the crowds would just get so into it and they get pumped up with the music and stuff. It was just fun. It was just a lot of fun. I mean, Cosmos games were fun. I don't know how many NASL games around the league outdoors were fun. but then you know, and then when the NASL was in and out and in and out again with the, with the indoor game, um, it just seemed to validate it on some level. And, you know, I think people have to remember that circa 85, 86 or so, there was no real top tier outdoor soccer league. We've talked uh, uh, w- with a bunch of people. Right. It's, it's, it was a lost almost decade or so between yeah. that and and the World Cup and then the founding of MLS. Right. And it was it was it was like a if you're a soccer fan, regardless of how you were watching it or enjoying it, it was like a punch in the gut. Really was. It was kind of like, okay, this seems like this maybe had been maybe was a waste of time, or maybe this was never meant to be. And again, you know, when you when you were sitting in stadiums, you know, with seventy eight thousand people and watching arguably some of the best players to ever play the game, and then have it basically non existent seven eight years later, I, you know, that's and, and plus the layer on top of that, the impressionable youth thing. Um, I don't know. It's just, uh, you know, and that's why I, you know, you look back and see major league soccer and stuff and yeah, it's, is it perfect? No. Is it the best league in the world? Certainly not. I mean, does it have its issues and centrally controlled? Yeah, you bet. But you know, my God, it's, you know, it's better than nothing. It's a whole lot better than nothing. And arguably uh, it's, 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 it's now got a fighting, you know, shot at being, you know, one of the top tier leagues in the, in this country and you know, the world success will come Yeah. Uh, once the economics and the politics sort of get to get figured out. But, but you know what, you don't know what you have until you lost it. And then for a good 10 years, you were a soccer fan of this country, the eighties and early nineties, you lost it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You followed the overseas leagues or it was nothing. Um, yeah. So one last subject I could get your expertise on uh, turning back to the United States football league. Um, I know a lot of people have opinions about this, and I sort of have an opinion about this, but it's changed. It's softened a bit, shockingly, given our political climate. But politics aside, and maybe people outside uh, – you know, listeners can go through this whole thought exercise too. If Donald Trump doesn't buy the New Jersey Generals, does the USFL still try to make a suicide run and try to force a merger too quickly with the NFL? Or conversely, if he – is the, the original owner of the New Jersey Generals? Does it happen faster?
0: No, I, no on both counts. Um, I, you oh, know, okay. I, I, from what I've read and people I've talked to, Jeff Perlman, of course. Yes. You
1: know, yeah. Ultimate, that, guy, that guy's an opinion. But, you know, he's
0: written the seminal work on, yes. on the history of the USFL.
1: A- absolutely.
0: More than enough credit for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, it's easy to pile on. And obviously, Mike Tomlin with the with the USFL documentary, mm-hmm. 30, uh, you know, kind of lays it out, you know, onto the doorstep of Donald Trump. And I don't want to give away at the end of the movie, but yeah, watch the end of the movie. Yeah. Uh, I think it's convenient to sort of lay it on Trump's uh, doorstep. Yes. Uh, and I think for, for a large chunk of the conversation, rightly so. Because yes. It, I wouldn't say the entire the entirety of, of the folly that it became was his fault but he uh embodied it he embellished it i mean that that every sense of the word and he was symptomatic of of it and and they were you know it wasn't a rousing success on a lot on a bunch of different levels yet it could have been yeah and i I, you know i i if you if you take donald trump out of the out of the equation and you hoped and prayed that um uh, that john bassett had had lived
1: i was just gonna say a, yeah a
0: bit longer right i mean you know i, I think i think the league was more bassett like in the first couple of years and sadly was duped and or deluded by by trump in the in the later years yeah and, you know if you read perlman's book and you you sort of read the context right this is we're now living in, in the in the Trump world, sort of writ large of all of that, right? This, the USFL is a microcosm, uh, and it's it's a great study, I guess, in terms of, of like what was to come. But I, look, I and I it's still it's still um, a curiosity to me as to why uh, uh, spring football, um, you know, in its own way, is now not. Its own sort of robust professional thing. I mean, the AFL yeah,
1: it's, it... and the
0: second coming of the of the XFL were I were absolutely correct ideas and our market opportunities. Um, I can't. I, the the reasons why they have failed in the last two years are, you know, have their own sort of origins. But you know, I could the USF. I think it could be very different had the folly of trying to merge with the NFL. And go head to head, or or go head to head with them in the fall, with the ultimate goal of a merger. I mean, I, I just, I, I, you just think that the, a spring league could have been, um, you know, maybe more modest over time and self-corrected. I mean, the yeah. world league came, came in, in the spring too. I, I think there is a thirst for spring football of a professional variety that knows its place, right? That maybe isn't yes. sort of going to take on the NFL, but. As a feeder league or as a as a developmental league or something that is competitive enough that gives people something to watch and to, to, to root for and have some kind of perhaps relationship with the NFL. Um, look, the NFL doesn't have a minor league system. Right. College is effectively their minor league system. And, you know, same with the NBA. I mean, college is really the you know, but I think the future really is for the for the NBA is the G League. As college basketball gets to be more comical and, and professional and, you know, one and done and transfer portal portals and all that stuff, I think college football is probably next. And I, I just I think the spring is a perfect opportunity for pro football to do that. But, you know, um, it's probably another decade away now, given.
1: Failure at least, yeah, years. I I liked the uh, new XFL because um, and I didn't dislike the first XFL. I mean, I have no interest in pro wrestling at all. One of the owners of the company I work for, huge wrestling fan. I think Darren's actually a big wrestling fan as well, but um, zero interest in wrestling, and uh, I didn't mind the first XFL. I like the second version a lot better because they took all of that. Any wrestling DNA was almost completely extracted, and even right in the in their slogan, "For the Love of the Game," they concentrated on that. What we were talking about earlier is these guys want to play, and that's that's all there is to it, you know. And the, no no ma- no making it an entertainment thing. The game is the entertainment, and I, I li- really liked how they got back to that. And it's a shame that you know forces out of their control uh, undid them this year. Well,
0: so. and, I, and I think the AAF and the XFL had some some pretty compelling innovations, and yeah, I think the NFL- absolutely. We'll now look at those a little bit more quickly. Um, and there's there's a whole bunch of things that could be improved about the NFL for sure. And, you know, to not have that sort of pushing on you. Let's see. I, I think that the XFL is going to come out of receivership. I think people are going to give it a, give it another chance. I think, obviously, the COVID-19, you know, situation in the next probably year or so at least uh, will probably delay all of that in pro sports generally over time uh, for the near term. Um, but, you know, I still have hope that, Spring is a window that uh, can support uh, quality professional football. I'm pretty sure of it. Yep.
1: Well, great, man. Could talk about this all day, but I gotta get, move on to my my other job now, my night job. So, um, and this has already gone on longer than most interviews. Like I said, I could I could talk about this all day. Um, so, anyway, let's let's plug the show. Good seed still available available wherever you get your podcast.
0: That is correct, and uh, we're pumping out uh, once a week or so. And um, I appreciate your uh, listening. And, and frankly, also, of course, OldSchoolShirts.com, one of yes. our long time sponsors and yep. just a, a hefty, hefty amount of great stuff around logos and teams and all that kind of stuff. So we appreciate your you in particular and, and OldSchoolShirts for uh, sticking with us in our little uh uh, mutually shared uh, admiration yes. slash illness. Yes, uh, we, we are digging it. And more until we're told otherwise.
1: There you go. Yeah, great. Well, super. And, uh, well, I guess we'll do this again sometime. Maybe we'll, we'll meet in person sometime. Uh, have lunch up there. In, you're in Chicago, right? I am. There you go. Well, we'll do that and we'll dis- discuss more defunct leagues and teams and, and whatnot. And, uh, and, yeah.
0: All right. Well, edit wisely and uh, don't uh, don't make me look too bad. I appreciate <laughs> your, uh, your here having me and I appreciate... More importantly, I really appreciate your support of the show. Um, it means a lot, and uh, the fact that you've been doing it for such a long time, and uh, I, I just I'm amazed at how many people have discovered it, and uh, it continues to grow. and uh, We're going to keep doing it until uh, until somebody comes and uh, ropes us out. There so, you go. Um,
1: well, it's good here. There are the there there are more there are more like us that you know remember all these weird you know leagues and teams and you know and things like that, and all the all the funny and endless stories about them.
0: Well, I appreciate it on, on all fronts. And oh, hey, I got to ask you one last question before yeah. we go. Yeah, yeah, You got, as I said in a couple of episodes, and maybe you don't want to share it now, what's the PF stand for?
1: Oh, it's Patrick Francois. People have asked that before. I was I was cagey about it in my younger days, but it's Patrick Francois, and it was uh, I was in TV production class in high school, and we were goofing around. We were The first assignment was just to film each other, interviewing each other. And so I was sitting down in the studio, and I could see the monitor up in the control room. And they were typing our names under it. And I said, make my name PF. I was just being silly. And it just stuck. Everybody in class just started calling me that in TV production class. I was on the radio in high school. And my radio partner just started calling me PF. And it just stuck. So... And that's
0: all right. Well, guess what? You're probably going to get called out another episode or two. So uh, just you just wait.
1: All right. <laughs> all right, let man. Me know,
0: let me know when this is out so I can uh, uh, promote it as well.
1: Too. Okay, I will let you. Yeah, I've got Kostaki Konomopoulos tomorrow, talking hopefully a lot of football, and then I'll yes. either run him next week and you at the week after, or vice versa. I'll, I'm, this might be a two parter at this point. I don't know. Oh my uh, God. Yeah. Still for your audience. All right. <laughs> all right, man. Well, again, Thank thanks you for doing very this. Much. Talk to you later. Pleasure to do it. Bye, Take dinner. Care. Bye.
0: Right, Our thanks to PF, or shall I say Patrick Francois, for uh, having us on his uh, his show. It's called PF's Tape Recorder, and uh, you can find it wherever good podcasts are found. Highly recommended. Uh, a great uh, assemblage of, of all things comedy uh, and music and uh, witty observations and cultural uh, anecdotes, etc. cetera. Lots of great guests and stuff. And it's not just uh, in the Cincinnati metro area where PF is domiciled, but also just generally and globally and uh, highly encouraged to listen. Again, it's PF's tape recorder. Thank you again for having us. And uh, we also thank you for listening. Oh, yeah, by the way, PF is a longtime friend of the show uh, by virtue, uh, whether he likes it or not, from his uh, one of his places of employ. It's OldSchoolShirts.com, one of our longest and uh, most beloved sponsors. OldSchoolShirts.com, great assortment of Uh, Shirts from not only uh, defunct leagues and teams and sports, uh, but all kinds of things in pop culture. They could be old movie theaters or bars or restaurants of the past, uh, radio stations and their logos. uh, All kinds of great memories uh, in uh, classic and uh, uh, well-crafted T-shirt form. Oldschoolshirts.com. Make sure you use the promo code GOODSEATS and get 10% off all of your purchases there. So uh, visit there early and often, as they say, and we appreciate it. Uh, you doing so not just us but pf and his uh friends at old thank you so much for listening we'll uh, be back next week with a, a fun-filled regular episode thanks for letting me have a little time off we appreciate it and uh until then please stay safe and um until next week ta-ta bye